Welcome to the Tall and Urban Podcast by the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat. This is Daniel Safarik. This is Season 1, Timber Rising, sponsored by the USDA Forest Service. We're talking with leading experts about mass timber, a way of building with engineered wood products that is gaining traction around the world. Today we're talking to Ara Eriksson, Director of Corporate Sustainability at Weyerhaeuser, a major forest products company in North America. Ara, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. How would you define sustainable forestry? We really want to make certain that forests are managed sustainably. And I define sustainable forestry um, a couple different ways. There's the traditional uh, traditional definition, which is, are you growing uh, more volume than you're harvesting? There's definitely more to sustainable forestry, which is, are you also protecting the habitat that is provided by those forests? Are you protecting water quality um, from the streams and the lakes and the rivers that are in those forests and um, as they move downstream? Um, and many other things from an environmental side. Are you practicing really good forestry the best you can? And then there's also an economic side to it. So I go back to the three legs of the sustainability stool. There's the environmental, the social, and the economic. And so economically, are you providing resources back to the communities where those forests are actually located? Are you feeding, are you both providing jobs and other types of opportunities from those forests? So I like to think of sustainability broader than some may traditionally think of sustainable sustainable forestry. Uh, what kind of trees are normally cut down for commercial timber production and, and what, what typically gets, gets left behind? So in order to make a, a wood product, so when we're growing timber for wood products, um, we are looking for the right size of tree. We're trying to get a tree that both fits, that is large enough to create a product from it, so you need to have a tree with enough size and enough girth to it to actually create something solid on the other side. And, and then it can't be too big that it can't fit into the manufacturing facilities of what can actually turn that tree into a product. So we have some limitations of how big or how small a tree can be. And then from there, we really look for growing trees that do well in that environment. So the best trees to grow are the ones that um, are from there. They, um, they grow really well. They're adapted to that environment where they're growing. It means it doesn't need a lot of additional inputs in order to grow. They know how to grow there. And so those are usually native tree species to that area. But we also obviously look for trees that grow straight when we're trying to make wood products. And so the straighter the tree is, the less waste there is to create those products. And, and then what about the age of trees? Uh, I, I think most people understand that, that old growth forests are, are generally off the list. What's the, what's the advantage of maintaining younger tree growth in, in managed forests? I think it's interesting that you um, use the word kind of younger forests. And I think this is it's a really it's a great question of how do we know the size of tree we should be growing based on what we're looking for. But ideally, we are harvesting trees at that point where we have um, where we are getting the maximum growth per year on that tree. And um, what we're looking for is that point in the curve, the growth curve called um, maximum annual increment. What's the increment it's putting on each year? So tree species um, in the Southeast of the United States, for example, grow very fast and they hit that, that annual increment maximum 
much earlier than trees that grow in slower growing areas. So in the south, it may be 20 to 25 years where that's the point of harvest. In the Pacific Northwest, because it's colder, we have shorter growing seasons, um, it might be more like 40 or 50 years. So rather than waiting for that 40-year-old tree to get to be 150 years old, where it's only put on a small amount of growth, we can put another tree in that same place. And in 80 years, by having two rotation cycles, we're really gonna double the amount of wood that we wanna be able to get out of that forest. So if we think about land being a finite resource in the world, um, land to grow timber, um, then how do we grow the most we can while also practicing really good sustainable forestry, the things that, that I mentioned early on, the foundation of sustainable forestry at the same time. Got it. Um the interest, rising interest in mass timber uh, and by extension tall timber. Uh, what does that add to this equation that we've been developing here about uh, the desirability of certain types of trees or certain land management techniques? Yeah, well, the first thing it adds is that currently most of the timber in the world is used to build um, single family homes or maybe some multifamily homes, or it might be used for industrial purposes like concrete forms, you know, things that we see, wood, pallets, etc. But there's a huge amount of growth in the world um, around taller buildings. And so if we could move wood into those buildings rather than concrete or steel, so truly tall, tall timber, um, we are able to both use a much lower embodied carbon product, meaning the product itself um, to create the product took less energy and less resources to make, as well as the product that has carbon embedded in the product. So I call that embedded carbon. So the tree being carbon dioxide, storing the carbon in itself, that's what actually makes up the mass of the tree. So the, the heft of the tree, the stuff in the tree is carbon. And if we can both put carbon in a building product and have it stay there, as well as use a product, select products that use less energy to create, we get a double win from a climate change and a, and a carbon perspective. Sure. Well, it, 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 it seems like the, the, the advocacy here then is, is for greater management of the forests that we have, whether that management refers to clearance of underbrush uh, to, um, intervening in terms of uh, trying to um, eliminate uh, pests and disease or committing them to some kind of commercial use as long as there is a steady uh, replenishment. Yes, and you know, I think it's important that we are open to all of the ways that land might be managed depending on who's responsible for taking care of that land. It does not have to look the same across the board. Um, but management itself is a good thing. And I think if we can sort of separate what we might think of as bad management or one view of management and allow there to be many types of management, what we really want and what we need is our people and resources committed to taking care of those forests and stewarding them. So I like to use the word stewarding um, sometimes because I think it's, it's, it, it makes sense when I think about stewarding, I need to care for something and that's really what we're gonna have to do. Um, and that will involve very active management in some places, maybe active harvesting, maybe not active harvesting, but that's still choosing to not harvest. You still wanna do that under the, under the, um, the world of stewardship. If we localize forestry and we obtain forest products from uh, a, a radius of a fairly short distance 
you know, we might be able to cut significantly into the, the carbon impact um, in addition to the advantages of, of wood inherently. Um, can you speak a little bit to the idea of what kinds of localization efforts might be out there or that, 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 that Weyerhaeuser might be involved in, for example? Um, so we try to move wood the shortest distance we can. So from a harvest site to a mill, having a mill close to the act of harvesting is the best thing we can do, both from a cost perspective, because it costs money to drive heavy logs down the highway, as well as an environmental perspective, because if we use less fuel to get the logs there, that's even better. Um, the other thing is that if we can source from a local area where there is not a current manufacturing facility, but there's a lot of trees, so where we have shut down mills or where mills have been shut down in the past because of a lack of a demand for the products um, or a lack of harvesting in those areas, um, how do we bring some mills back to areas where there is a huge amount of wood sitting there? So how are we able to put manufacturing facilities closer to where the wood is? Um, and will there be a revival of manufacturing, wood products manufacturing facilities in places right next to those forests? Those are all, those are all some of the, um, why some of the interest and excitement around mass timber is starting to grow. Do you have um, a system for helping customers determine how, what product makes sense for them? I guess that's the simplest way I can, I can think of it. And does that factor in life cycle analysis? Yeah, great question. So uh, there's a few different systems that we currently have that we are um, in the process of reviewing and seeing how we can improve, particularly to include new types of building materials like mass, more mass timber. So the first actually are um, things that we do right now. We have environmental product declarations, which include that, that in order to create an environmental product declaration, you have to have done a life cycle assessment of um, everything from where the wood was grown to manufacturing, to transportation. So there's different levels of LCAs, but you really wanna make certain you're covering at least what they call cradle to gate. So when it leaves our facility, um, what have all the inputs been to get there? Um, it's really important that we are though considering that key question that you just mentioned around transportation. So maybe selecting a product that used one less gallon of water um, might look okay from a water perspective, but maybe it's 700 miles away. <laughs> further away, um, are we making, you know, are we making the wrong decision? And so we really have to look across the whole system and not just pick sort of one metric because we will start to miss other key inputs and other key impacts. So I think a really good um, understanding of environmental product declarations and environmental footprinting and then life cycle assessment and an investment in life cycle assessment and analysis is really critical. And it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. Um, it takes time. And I think if we actually step back and really understand what goes into that and listen to the experts who collect this information and do the analysis, um, we'll, we'll, make great, we'll make great wins. And then another thing that Warehouser happens to do, not all companies do, but we have software systems, for example, that let builders um, or designers put their plans into our systems and then we will help optimize for the right um, type of product. More, the more of those types of systems that we have available that go all the way from the architect, the original designer, to the um, engineers, to the general contractors, to the builders, and if we can help that process be more efficient so that we are using the right amount of material um, and we're sending the right amount of material to a job site, those are the wins that we'll be able to make as a society that help us get more homes built out of wood in the right way 
um, in an efficient way and in a responsible way. That's fantastic. I couldn't think of a better way to wrap it up myself. And I really want to thank you for, for giving us your time and your thoughts. Great. Thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you.